Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Awesome. Well, good morning, church. My name is Wes. I'm the mission pastor here at North. It is a privilege to be worshiping with you. Like Jay said, hopefully you have found a nice, cool spot to be at right now. I believe it's going to be like 115, 116. I actually tried to play nine holes of golf yesterday at 1130 and that wasn't very fun. I was sweating from my fingernails, I think. Um, but hopefully you got a nice, cool spot. Um, I'm, I'm privileged, honored to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. We're in a series called Crucial Questions, and in this series, we have compiled questions that you have submitted that you want answered. And so it's been, it's been fun because these questions that you've asked are, are super important for us to consider. Uh, it's been fun, it's been challenging, it's been encouraging, but I think more importantly, uh, this series has allowed us to take a look at maybe some, some things we wouldn't normally look at on a regular basis just to ask some specific questions and see what Jesus would want us to do with those questions. We've covered things as, as far as heaven, racial injustice, depression, Christian essentials, uh, the problem of bad things or suffering happening, roles of males and females, submission to the law and obedience to Christ, and what it means to trust the Bible. Now, this morning we have a, a different crucial question for us, and, and I'll just disclaim it right up front. There's going to be some, some issues that, that we kind of bounce around that we can't go fully deeply into, but we will answer the question today. And what I, what I want to do is, is I've asked several family members and several friends to when they hear this question, the question we're going to answer today, what is your initial reaction? What's, what's a memory that comes into your head? Or what, what vibe do you get? What feeling do you have? What's your initial thought when you hear this question? I, I asked some family members, friends, and I'm going to share some of those responses with you, but I would like you to do the same this morning. Uh, when I share the question, um, I want you to think about your initial response to it. What, what, what comes to your mind? And maybe jot it down, maybe type it out on your phone, maybe send a text, maybe write it on a piece of paper, or maybe just keep it, keep it in your head and, and in your heart. And hopefully, uh, we will address the thing that comes to your mind. If, if we don't, um, please go on our website, Crucial Questions um, link, and just submit that clarification or that question, and we can, we can re reply back to you if we don't quite get to where you thought of your initial response today. Okay, so... Uh, and, and if you, you know, paid attention to your newsletter this week and you already know what the question is or you went on social media and you saw that, then, then try and remember back to what your initial thought was when you saw what the question was. The cru crucial question for today that we will be answering is should Christians take the Bible literally? Should Christians take the Bible literally? Uh, this question, you know, might cause you to initially think, well, of course I should take the Bible literally. It's, it's God's word. Why would I not take the Bible literally? Or maybe the question may, may make you bristle up or maybe tense up a little bit because you've seen people take portions of Scripture and abuse other people by twisting what that word is and trying to have power over someone unjustly. Maybe when you hear the, the question, should Christians take the Bible literally, you, you question the question itself. Maybe like, well, that's not a... Not a good question. Well, I did tee it up like that on purpose to force us to have to come to a conclusion. And I do think it's important to ask the question, should Christians as opposed to unbelievers? Now, because I believe that we should, we should also discuss what, what Christians, how they should perceive 
God's word. And we might get a bit of a different answer if we talk about how unbelievers perceive God's word. Uh, maybe your initial thought is, well, I, I can't really answer that question yet because you haven't defined your terms. You haven't defined what does it mean to take the Bible literally. Well, I'm glad you asked. We are going to answer that question today. What does it mean to take the Bible literally? I'll get to that in a moment, but I do want to share with you uh, some of the initial responses that my family members, my friends have shared with me. And I'll start with actually my neighbor across the street. Uh, he's, his, his name's Anthony. I don't know Anthony super well, but through this whole COVID thing, we've been texting back and forth about how great the Last Dance documentary was about Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And, and we've, we even had a, a socially distanced conversation. He's on one side of the street and I was on the other side of the street on Friday. And he found out that I was a pastor and uh, found out that I was preaching today. And he said, well, what are you preaching on? Now, I have, I have no idea what Anthony thinks about God, Jesus, the church, religion. He didn't share, so I don't really know. I hope to learn that someday. Uh, but I told him I'm preaching on should Christians take the Bible literally? And he goes, whoa. He said, that could be a tough one. He said, I would imagine that even the people in your own congregation might answer that question a bit differently. He said, because what, from what I understood about God's word is that it's dynamic and it's meant to be dynamic so as to apply to different people in different circumstances. And that's when I told him that he should be preaching today instead of me because I thought that was a pretty good answer. So some of the initial reactions to this question, should Christians take the Bible literally from my family and friends in no particular order, uh, one person said this, uh, Je well, Jesus used so many parables like meaning non-literal stories, and he seems to value that style of communication maybe even more than straight talk. And that also meant that the disciples didn't hear those, some of those stories as literal events. Okay, that's what one person said. Another person said, oh snap, are you going to talk about if, if the story of creation was a, a literal seven-day story, and are you going to talk about a literal Adam and Eve or not? And no. I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to leave that one to Jay. Let him answer that one for you. As that's a little bit more of a science and history and, and Bible discussion, but that's what one person thought when they first heard the question. Another person said, there's some difficulties with this topic, include, and they include cultural context of each passage, as well as the problem of distinguishing when are we to read a passage as literal and when are to we read it as figurative. Another person said, what comes to mind is more questions. And those questions lead me to big theological issues like biblical inerrancy, God's sovereignty, and determinism. And my guess is you won't be able to cover all those on Sunday. And no, I won't be able to cover all those today. Uh, the next one uh, come, is a little funny, uh, their initial reaction to this. And it's kind of a little sad at the same time. But when first reading the question, this is a memory that popped up in someone's mind. They said, because 1 Timothy 2 talks about braided hair not being appropriate, my middle school Bible teacher told me to remove my braids so as to not be like the prostitutes in the Bible. Uh, that would be taking some passages very literally that maybe should not be, which brings us to this next statement that kind of dovetails off the end of that. Uh, someone else said, literal statements are a vital part of the gospel. But at times we can make things literal or fundamental that shouldn't be. 
and it can create a legalistic attitude and not one of grace. Someone else said this, did the Bible, did the people of the Bible even think in terms of literal versus figurative, or is that something that we made up after the fact? And as this person processed out loud, they then said, well, I guess on the flip side, the disciples did ask for the true meaning of Jesus' parables, so maybe they did have that way of thinking. And then this last one, this last one is, is an all-inclusive statement, all right? It's a little bit longer. And this person said this, I have a gut reaction against people saying that the whole Bible would only be taken literally. I wasn't there. You weren't there. None of us were there. So we have to try and gather what we can from an ancient text written in a totally different era of history. There are passages when taken literally could be not just wrong, but possibly dangerous. Jesus said to cut off our hand if it causes us to sin. Should we really cut off our hand if it causes us to sin? Jesus said to forgive someone 70 times 70 times, which is 490. If I am offended 491 times by the same person, do I get a pass and not have to forgive them? Jesus said not to covet my neighbor's wife. If I covet my neighbor's husband and not his wife, am I in the clear? First Timothy mentions women not talking in church. Should women literally not ever speak when inside of a church because of a few ladies in Corinth? And the list goes on. I feel like there are many parts of the Bible that should be taken literally and parts of the Bible that are clearly stories, illusions, or writing features that aren't understood when taken literally. Sometimes the wisdom of the Bible is in how we, it can speak into any situation which I feel cannot or will not be done when we take all of the Bible as only literal. So those are some of the comments from my family and friends, and, and they really helped me, help shape my conversation today uh, because of their initial reactions. And maybe you had some similar initial reactions or maybe something different. Um, but but here's, here's where we're going, and you may be able to figure out where I'm going to answer this question today. Should Christians take the Bible literally? And I'm going to go with Jay's scale of confidence here, one being not very sure and ten being very sure. And I'm going to give this one a ten, uh, that yes, Christians should take the Bible literally, and no, there are parts of the Scripture we are not to take literally. But the Bible is always trustworthy, and there is always a literal meaning behind every passage. Whether we are to read it as a literal event or not, there's always literal meaning. There's a tension there, right? There's a tension because if we're at times supposed to take the Bible literally and at times we're not, but just we're supposed to read it for literal meaning, how do we know the difference? And this tension actually has existed since the beginning of time. Another family member of mine pointed out, in the Garden of Eden story, God is walking with Adam and Eve. And he says to them, do not eat of that tree. A short while later, the serpent says to Adam and Eve, did he really say that? Did God really say that? Did he literally mean that? God's words have been put under scrutiny from the beginning of time. And God's words are seemingly under scrutiny now. As we consider, what does it mean? What is God literally saying to us? Now, there's a few temptations here to go to one side or the other. Sometimes we are tempted to take the Bible too literally, 
so as to keep things in a nice, neat box. The nuances, the this could be interpreted this way or that way are just too uncomfortable for us, and we want things to be black and white, and so we take things very literally and hold on to maybe some things that we shouldn't, uh, that there should be some, some nuance in the meaning of the passage. Now, there's times that we can, we can be tempted on the other side as well. We could be tempted to not take the Bible literally enough to maybe avoid a certain command that we think is too difficult or makes us a little bit uncomfortable. I think sometimes we, we don't take the Bible literally enough because we want to protect God. We want to protect God's image. There's, there's some tough places in Scripture, and we want to make sure that God is seen in the best light, and so we kind of skirt the issue. We don't take it literally enough. You know, if God's a loving God, how could this happen? And so we, we, we change the meaning of it. Don't take it as literal as maybe we should. So this question, should Christians take the Bible literally, cause, it causes us to think through how we are to read God's Word. Is it literal or is it a figure of speech? And our perspective on how to approach God's Word will determine usually the outcome of what we read in God's Word. Our perspective and how we approach God's Word for, for reading, for study, uh, f- for, you know, f- for having, developing a theology or a doctrine will determine many of the things that we end up believing about the Bible. So because our perspective matters, to kind of illustrate that our perspective matters, I thought of this story of, of my, my youngest son, Joseph. And as I, we were approaching our 40th birthday, Kristen was saying, hey, we're going to celebrate Dad's birthday. This is a couple years ago. And uh, he's going to be over the hill, and you know, he's going to be old. And, and so Joseph was kind of thinking about that, and he came back a couple minutes later, and he's like, so, Mom, when Dad's over the hill, who are you going to marry? And Kristen goes, well, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to be married to your dad after the, the birthday party. And he goes, oh, I thought over the hill meant he was going to die. First of all, Joseph, don't nonchalantly just ask when are we going to replace dad. Second of all, how did over the hill mean death to him for whatever reason? And third of all, what other crazy things do you believe, Joseph, that we don't know about yet? that's going to result in my death. Our perspective matters. How you approach God's word will matter, and it will help you determine what you actually interpret from it. So if the Bible is to be read literally at times and not at others, first, why is that? And second of all, how then are we to read God's word? So why why are we to read it that way? One, and the main reason is this there are different writing styles within God's Word. The Scripture is is full of poetry, wisdom, allegory, history, parables, prophecy, music, teaching, and I would argue underneath the teaching would be commands, encouragement, challenges, inspiration, reproof, and correction. There's symbolism and metaphors, there's genealogies, there's laws, there's figures of speech, there's instruction, and there's doctrine. Now, we know, even though there's different writing styles, that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say this, all scripture is breathed out by God and proof profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, 
This is a, a great passage that illustrates both the, the literal interpretation of God's word and a non-literal, even in just this passage right here. Is it to be taken literally that God spoke out, spoke out the words that we find in God's word? Absolutely. God spoke those out through the Holy Spirit. That is to be taken literally. Is it to be taken literally that God's word is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction? Yes, that is to be believed as literal. At the same time, is the Bible reserved only to help men be godly? Because if you read a very literal uh, interpretation into this passage, you could think that it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we need to always be holding those things in tension. Man here is, is basically uh, speaking of humankind. But if someone wanted to read into that, a very literal interpretation, that could take you down a certain path, wouldn't it? So we know why the Bible isn't intended to be read only as literal, because of the different writing styles, figures of speech. But how then are we to know the difference and interpret God's words? So I'm going to give you five things. I'm going to give you five things for how you should not read God's word. How you should not read God's word. And one of them is this. You should not read God's word and develop a theology one verse at a time. Now, is every single verse, every single word, every single book and chapter breathed out by God? Absolutely. But should we base our theology on a single verse at a time? No, that would be dangerous. We need to always read every word, every passage, every book through the lens of Scripture as a whole. Take, for instance, Luke 14, 26. It says, we cannot be Jesus' disciples unless we hate our father and our mother. If you took that one verse without reading all of Scripture, you, you would literally, it would read, you need to hate your family in order to follow God. Well, if you take all of Scripture, you see that that's the opposite of what would be true. Jesus is illustrating a point, and the point is, is that Jesus should be the number one priority even above your family. And he says it that way on purpose to grab our attention, to really drive home that point. As much as I'd like to take certain verses and apply them to uh, my life and theology, I would love to base a theology around Ecclesiastes 8.15, where it says, eat, drink, and be merry. That would be a fun one to develop a theology around. But we need to read all of Scripture, uh, every part of Scripture with the whole of Scripture in mind. The second thing not to do when we read God's Word is to read into it with our biases and with our own assumptions. It's very easy to bring our own ideas, experiences, opinions, perspectives to the table when reading God's Word. Actually, I would argue it's impossible to not have some of those at least trying to influence us as we read God's Word. So, what we need to do is recognize that we, we, kind, we bring those things to the table very easily. And what we want to do is approach God's Word as openly as possible. As openly as possible. For example, I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene. And I was taught as a kid and in, in high school that I could lose my salvation. So what do you think that did when I read passages about salvation in Scripture or sin or God's will or, or my will? So I, I would read it with a certain lens given what I had been taught up to that point. So what we need to do is recognize we have biases, experiences, and we should leave those at the door and approach God's word as openly as possible. 
Something else we should not do when reading God's word is to do that without humility. We need great humility when reading and interpreting and studying God's word. We should ask for the Holy Spirit to help. The Holy Spirit, we want the Holy Spirit to guide us in how we read God's word. And we should be seeking to understand God's word so as to grow in our faith, grow in our relationship with Christ, and for not any other reason. It would not, in my opinion, if you read God's word in order to prove someone else wrong in their theology, then you're reading it for the wrong reason. My, my, my argument would be that if, if you're going to read God's word with humility, that you're, you're not trying to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, reading, approaching God's word with humility would say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me understand who you are, God, and, and continue to grow in my faith with you. Uh, another thing we shouldn't do is to read without others. Yes, we should read God's word by ourselves, devotions, meditate on it, pray upon it. But we also need each other. That's why the, the author of Hebrews says not to forget to gather together, to worship, to pray, to teach, to read God's word together, to understand it together. You know, the Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. Um, you know, just getting my family and friends' perspective on their initial thoughts to this question changed my perspective on it. Men's Bible study, you know, it, it, it changes me for the better having that study on Thursday morning, whether it's an accountability group, a small group, reading a book together. Uh, we, we just do things better. We're intended to do them in relationships with other people. And the last thing uh, to keep in mind here, what not to do when reading God's Word, is to read it without context, audience, or the author in mind. This is extremely important. When reading a passage, we need to, we need to, if we can, know as much about the author and the way they would write. Yes, the Holy Spirit spoke through them, but he spoke through people who had their own perspectives on things. Take, for instance, Paul, okay? Paul was probably, he wrote what, much of the New Testament. He was probably 30 years old, uh, he had a very religious background, a very legal background, very educated. Uh, Paul killed Christians. He had other people kill Christians. And then he had this dramatic conversion where he came to know God. He is going to write differently, talk differently than John would. John, who also spoke out God's words with the, with the Holy Spirit, was a teenager. He was uneducated. He was a fisherman. He, was pro he probably spent more time with Jesus than any of the disciples. Him and, and Jesus were extremely tight. He is going to write differently than Paul will write, and we just need to keep that in mind as we approach God's word. And the context of the passage is critical. Asking yourself who, what, when, where, and why. Knowing who the audience is. What is the audience hearing? What's the culture around that passage that would help inform what the true meaning is? What is the author really trying to communicate in this specific passage? Now take uh, 3 John 1, 2. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Now if you just took that verse as it was at face value, you could extrapolate that it's very important in our walk with Christ uh, to, to have health and to be prosperous. But the, understanding the context puts this in a different light. 
Of course, that's not uh, above all else like this says. What the context around this is that's, that, was a f- that was a common greeting when you started a letter. And this is the beginning of a letter. It would be like sending an email and it, said, it says, I hope this email finds you well. The context of each passage matters. The hearers who was saying it, what their original meaning is intended. Now, I do think that there are places in Scripture where it is designed for just a person a single person, place, and time. Take, for instance, the rich young ruler. All right, the rich young ruler approached Jesus, asked about how to inherit the um, eternal life, and Jesus' response to him was for him in that moment. His response was sell everything and, and give, it to, give everything to the poor. That was his response. Is that a prescription for all Christians, all time, no matter what? No. Should we consider should we consider anything that God would ask us to do? Absolutely. But is it a prescription for everyone all the time? No. Howard Hendricks, who, who passed in 2013, is an author, Bible teacher. Um, he had a, I've just been following him for a long time. He wrote a book called Living by the Book. And he gives us four steps in how to read God's Word. He says observation, interpretation, application, and communication. He really harps in on this observation piece. Ob- observing God's word, kind of looking at it as if we're detectives, we're really trying to figure out what is the meaning behind this takes practice, it takes work, it takes time. But what it does is it gives us a fuller, richer understanding of what God wants to communicate. So even if we apply these, these things that Howard Hendricks is talking about and we, we approach scripture with the things that we're not supposed to do, it can still be difficult to understand exactly what God wants us. Now, some, some things are really plain, and they're really out there, and they're easy to see, and some are, are just more difficult to understand. Some people, you know, have very, have very different opinions about what the Bible is saying, and some people just, you know, that it would be a little bit different than you. I think, I believe that's why we have so many Christian denominations. It's because people read the Scripture a bit differently, and sometimes very differently. That's why we have what we call the essentials. Now, personally, I believe the essentials uh, start and end with the fact that the Bible point is, is entirely pointed towards the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his, his life on the earth, what he said, what he taught, and how he lived. And if we're going to take anything literally, then we should take the life of Jesus as literal as possible. I'm going to explore that idea in a little bit, but I want to look at a couple different parables here in light of you know, do we, should we take the, the Bible literally? So let's take the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's in a conversation with someone, and this person is trying to trick him. He's trying to get Jesus to say something that's wrong so he can, they can get him in trouble. And this person asks him, says to Jesus, you know, who is my neighbor? And the parable, the story that Jesus tells is of the Good Samaritan that we find in Luke 10. And of course, there's someone who was beaten up on the side of the road. Two people walk by, don't pay attention. The Good Samaritan, who culturally shouldn't interact with that person, takes him in, takes care of him, heals him up, and, and, and provides for him. That's the story that Jesus tells. That was not a literal story. Jesus is, is telling a parable. He is answering the question with a moral story about, and the meaning is, everyone is our neighbor. We are to love everyone. He, it was not heard as a literal story. Jesus didn't tell it as a literal story. Jesus used parables all the time 
in the Bible, and, and the Bible's full of figures of speech. Now, one, one place to start when, when you're looking at a scripture, you're determining, is this to be interpreted literal, or this is a, a figurative language? I, w- I would assume that you should always start in assuming that it is literal. Every, everything is to be understood as an actual event, you know, actually to be understood as little, unless there is a good reason to understand it differently. And there is good reason to understand the Good Samaritan story differently as a parable, but with great and powerful meaning. But compare that to the story that we have in John 4 where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. We are to understand that as an actual event and an actual conversation. Jesus talks with her about salvation and about the many husbands that she has had. And at the same time, though, even as Jesus is having an actual conversation, an actual event that is taking place, he uses an analogy that is to be understood as not literal. He says in verses 13 and 14, uh, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Is Jesus literally saying, Hey, um, Samaritan lady, I'm going to give you this water and you're never going to be thirsty again? No, that's not what he's saying. Even in, in an actual conversation, he uses a figurative language. And what he is what he's sharing with her is that he is the one who will satisfy her, that salvation comes through him. And by the way, Jesus broke all sorts of social and cultural laws by having this conversation with this woman. This would have been seen as very scandalous. But just like Jesus illustrated the Good Samaritan by loving, to to show that we are to love our neighbors, he is actually literally showing us how to love our neighbors in this actual story that happened by having this conversation with her. Now, there's many recorded miracles that Jesus and his disciples performed, and they too are to be understood as literal events, which is amazing because Jesus did some pretty incredible things. They did some powerful things. Now, Shane Claiborne writes uh, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, he writes this uh, about miracles. But what had lasting significance were not the miracles themselves, but Jesus' love. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, and a few years later, Lazarus died again. Jesus healed the sick, but they eventually caught some other disease. He fed the thousands, and the next day, they were hungry again. But we remember his love. It wasn't that Jesus healed the leper, but that he touched a leper because no one touched lepers. And the incredible thing about that love is that it now lives inside of us. There's such meaning in both the literal and figurative language that we find in Scripture. Now, one, one thing that I think Christians tend to do at times is to uh, not take literally enough how Jesus lived. Now, the, I, I would say that most, most Christians would say, yeah, you know, I, I, I believe that he lived and he said that and he did that and all those things. But, you know, do I have to literally live like that? Is, is that the standard for which I should, I should live? Matthew 25, 31 through 46, there, there's these parables that Jesus is walking through. And then he comes to, he shares a parable about this king who's in heaven. And this king is, when people are arriving in heaven, he's splitting them into two groups the left and the right, the sheep and the goats. And he ends up sending 
half of, the, half of those people to hell in the parable, and the others stay in heaven. And what is the distinguishing mark between heaven and hell? And it is meeting the needs of the needy. You, you clothed me. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You gave me food when I was hungry. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Now, is this a parable to be understood as figurative language? Absolutely. Does it reveal something about the character of God that we should serve the needy? Absolutely. You read that, but all throughout Scripture, you see that in many ways. My encouragement this morning is to, when it comes to how do we are to approach God's Word, literally to live as close to a life like Jesus as he lived. Jesus gave us some commandments. He even said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So to, to be a Christian and to take the Bible literally and the meaning of it literally, I believe, and I'm, this is where I'm going to land this morning, is that these commands that I'm going to read are what we should put into our life because that's what Jesus said and what he did. He said, rejoice, be baptized, honor God's law, be reconciled, do not lust. Let your light shine. Repent. Keep your word. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. Practice disciplines. Seek God's kingdom. Judge not. Share the gospel. Ask, seek, and knock. Do unto others. Choose the narrow way. Turn the other cheek. Beware of false prophets. Pray for laborers. Be wise. Fear not. Hear God's voice. Fight for justice. Fast. Do not worry. Take my yoke. Honor your parents. Fight for the oppressed. Pray for healing. Faith like God, like a child. Deny yourself. Resist temptation. Be merciful. Despise not the little ones. Go to offenders. Forgive offenders. Honor marriage. Bring in the poor. Render to Caesar. Love God. Love others. Give to the needy. Await his return. Do not honor money. Be born again. Keep my commandments. Mourn. Do not be hypocrites. Drink and eat in remembrance. Give thanks. Worship. Feed my sheep. Watch and pray. Baptize my disciples. Receive God's power. Make disciples. The literal words of Jesus. Let me pray. I got to thank you this morning that when we approach your word, that your Holy Spirit can bring it to life for us and that we do have the power because of your Spirit to live like you. That's my heart and my prayer this morning. And even as I strive to work on that and, and, and fail, uh, I'm just thankful for your grace and your forgiveness and that each morning is new, new mercies, new grace. We continue to honor you. Your name, amen. In just a moment, 
We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So uh, when I was in high school, I was kind of an idiot. Uh, Some people would argue that uh, I'm still an idiot. But I just did a bunch of crazy things. I uh, grew my hair out really long, and I shaved a mullet into my hair, just just because, even with little stair steps on the side. Uh, And then I had this bright red pair of workout swishy pants, and uh, I wore them for 45 days straight, just because. And at one point after it snowed, I lived in Maryland at the time, uh, I took my car and I drove up on the baseball field and I did donuts on the infield. Completely destroyed the the baseball field. They never knew who it was. Uh, Like I said, I was an idiot. But I did have a moral victory the other day as I was messaging with my buddy Hashim. We played basketball together. And he said, he said, you know what? He could have remembered all the dumb things I did, but he didn't. He actually pointed out something else. He said, Wes, you're my only Christian friend. He's like, I've thought about your relationship with Christ and how our conversations many times over the years. And sometimes, at times, we make a difference on, in people we don't even know it, even when we're idiots, you know, and do dumb things and make mistakes. So I believe that theology and how we understand God's Word is super important. But I, what, I believe what's more important is our relationship with Christ, um, our growing, dynamic relationship with Jesus and learning to love him and learning to love other people. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's literally live and love like Jesus. Have a great week. Love you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.